Well, we're here. We're in. A, we're been working through a series called um, Colossians, the book of Colossians. So let's get into this. Let's get into chapter two. Um, I, I remember my early years as a Christian. Um, you know, you know, isn't it amazing? You look at some people; they got some real good style. They got style. You know, they're almost born with style. I wasn't born with style. I, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those guys that um, you know, I just, I, I'll just wear the same thing every single day for the whole year. That's me. And, and praise God for our mums, and praise God for our wives, which encourage us to to wear other things um, as well. And so, but anyway, I remember when I first became a Christian, I was pretty rugged. I, when I went to church, you know, when I first started going, I was just wearing my rugged street gear. And, uh, but here's the thing. When I would get invited to a 21st or when I get invited to another something, uh, um, an occasion, I would wear my, my best clothes, my best street clothes, <laughs> you know, which wasn't much. I will put my best clothes on to go to these things. And I remember one time I'm wearing my best, you know, getting a 21st, I'm wearing my nice clothes for going out and do some dancing or something like this. Obviously, I was much younger than, than I am t- right now. And, but I remember the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Holy Spirit said to me, oh, so, so you wear your best to the world, but you give me your second best. And I was like really convicted. And then, so from that moment on, I started wearing my best street <laughs> my best street gear to church because it was my best clothes I, and that's what I would wear to church but here's the thing though what I started to do I started to make everyone else wear their best clothes to church as well so I took something that God had told me to do something that God was working on in my life and I began to enforce it on other people so I took a truth that, that God wanted me to learn and I turned it into a capital truth for everyone else I turned it into a law for everyone else. Isn't that so? Sometimes we feel God speaking to us about something. And, um, and we feel this is what God, this is what I need to change in my life. But we begin to make other people do it as well. And we've got to be careful that we don't all of a sudden um, create uh, a burden for somebody that God is not. Actually, that wasn't really the issue. It's actually your issue that God is working through. But isn't it interesting that when we switch on the news or social media, society begins to tell us what we should believe or how we should act. Oh, what we should wear, you know, it, it influences everything we do. And it's really interesting because society begins to tell us what truth is. What is truth? But this is what we know about society. When society shifts, truth shifts as well. Truth shifts with it. So just imagine what we used to believe 20 years ago, is, uh, we don't believe today. And what's allowed, uh, what wasn't allowed then is allowed today. Because when society shifts... Truth shifts as well. Society says truth is relative, that truth is created, that we create truth. It's not discovered, it's created. Truth is a matter of perspective, and every society and every individual defines for themselves what truth is. Truth changes. Truth changes. But when we open up our Bible, the truth, truth is absolute. Truth is discovered. It's not invented, it's discovered. Relative truth has its origin in man. Absolute truth has its origin in God. So where do you base your truth on? What do you base your truth on? What do you stand on? And if you don't know what you stand for, then you fall for anything. So if you've got your Bibles, let's get into Colossians chapter 2. It's just kind of like, um, it's, it's just the, the, what the subject matter is, what the Apostle Paul is 
is talking about in his letters. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. And this is what it says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Because the Apostle Paul, he hadn't planted this church. He brought the, the gospel message to this region, but it was a, 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 a man by the name of Epaphras who planted this church. So now he's writing to this church to encourage them. And he goes on, verse 2, That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in Christ, all wisdom and knowledge we find. Jesus is truth. He is truth. Verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Right? Don't we hear so many different plausible arguments out there today. Paul is saying, be careful that people don't try to deceive you or try to win you over with arguments or truths that sound plausible, but in fact are designed to lead you astray. That's what he's saying. He's warning, he's warning the people in, in Colossae. Now, there are people out there that are going to lead you astray and, and trying to define what truth is. And he goes on in verse 5, For though I am absent in body, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Apostle Paul is saying, hey, you know, you don't actually need me. You've never met me. You know who I am. You know what I'm called to you. You know that, 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 that I'm this apostle that has brought this message, but you don't actually need me. What you need, what you really need is to be rooted in Jesus. That's what you need. Like a tree in good soil. When you're, when you're rooted in Jesus, when, when you're focused on Jesus, when, when you begin to understand who he is, when you begin to, to flourish in who he is, then you won't be swayed and you won't be deceived. So, so when you're in your workplace, when you're in your places of education, you don't need the pastor next to you. All you need is Jesus. All you need is the Word of God and spend time with Him and be rooted in the Word, rooted in, in Him. Because don't let anyone water down Jesus to you, is what the Apostle Paul is saying. In verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to elemental spirits of the world, and according to Christ. See, in Colossae, there was this huge pressure to conform to, to what everyone else believed, what everyone else was doing. Isn't that really interesting? Isn't that kind of like the pressures we feel? Right? That we've got this, this pressure to conform to what everyone else believes. And if you don't believe what we believe, then there's something wrong with you. Right? And, you know, the, the people of Colossae, they, they're saying to these, these people who, who have turned away from, their, from these um, pagan religions and now following Jesus, they're like, if you really want a new spiritual experience, why don't you choose one of the many others that we have in our city? You know, and, and, and the ones that, that are accepted by society. Join the one, that one, one of the ones that are approved on. And, and I don't know. So what are you doing following this Jesus? Who is this guy? This, you're following... This Jewish man who, who died on a cross, what's that about? But also, for, the, for the, the converts in Colossae, there was this Jewish pressure. This Jewish pressure. Yes, Jesus is a good start, but you really need to become Jewish. 
It's so good, yeah, because Jesus, he was a Jew, and he, in fact, when he was crucified, there was a sign above him that said he's king of the Jews. So, you, so he's a good start, but you need to become Jew. You need to become a Jew as well. So you need to get circumcised. You need to eat kosher, you know, meaning you shouldn't be eating bacon. Um, you need to observe the Sabbath, meaning that you shouldn't be going to church on a Sunday. You, what you should be doing is, is from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. This is, this, is, this is what you need to do. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You, no. Jesus is all you need. That's what he's saying. And we miss the play on words here because the play on words here is in, is in Greek. And um, I've highlighted takes you captive. And the Apostle Paul, he's playing with words there. We don't see it because we don't speak Greek and it's in English. And it's kind of like, um, suppose there was a politician and his name was John Locke, L-O-C-K-E. And there was another politician and trying to discredit this politician. And so he said, well, whatever you do, you know, don't get, don't get locked into an empty promise. And so you, and it's trying to plan word, don't get locked in, you know, because with lock, you get locked into empty promises. And, and using these words on plain words, and the Apostle Paul is doing, doing exactly that, but he's using the word, takes you captive, and it's the, and it's the word, uh, oh, it's fun, I was practicing this word. My wife, she knows really how hard I practice on words, because there's some words, even normal English words that I struggle with. Uh, uh, and it's syllogogan, syllogogan, there you go. Syllogogan. If you don't, and give me a hand. I don't think I did well there, Syllogogan. Oh my goodness. I was having anxiety about this word, you know. <laughs> Syllogogan. It's a very close word to synagogue, the Jewish synagogue. And so, what the Apostle Paul said don't, don't let anyone synagogue you. This is the plan word. Don't let anyone synagogue you, is what he's saying. Verse 9 For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. And he's, he's referring back to that amazing poem in chapter 1. He's referring back to that, that Jesus is not like the other pagan religions. There's a lot of pagan religions in, in, in Colossae where, where there's, there's demigods. Jesus is not a demigod. He's not half um, a divine being and half a human being and, and one. He is fully God and fully human. The fullness of God dwells with him. Jesus is supreme. And so he's, he's, he's writing this back to the people of Colossae. Verse 10. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the wonderful working of God, who raised them from the dead. Well, that's a mouthful, that wasn't it? And so, so again, he's just he's just reiterating that that you don't do not need to be circumcised. See, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign was a sign that you had been set apart. As God's chosen people. That's what circumcision was. It, was. it was a sign that you were set apart as God's chosen people. And if you're a Jewish woman, you married a Jewish man, and, and you would, and then you'll be, you'll, obviously, you'll, you see him in his fullness. And so, and so you'll be reminded that you are set apart. You are set apart as, um, as God's chosen people. So, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that, that Jesus has set you apart, 
He has set you apart. The cutting away is spiritual. It's dying to your old, old ways. It's coming alive in Christ. This is the spiritual circumcision that has happened, which is, is how you become part of God's chosen people. And, and baptism is a symbol of it. When you're baptized, going into the waters, dying to your old self, coming alive in Christ. And, and, so this is what, this, and so baptism is a symbol of this. And this is, how, uh, this is what he's trying to explain to those in Colossae in verse 13. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And this is the, the, um, the spiritual circumcision that we're talking about. That your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us, and he took it away by nailing to the cross. See, it is sin that separates us from God. God didn't separate himself away from you, but it's sin that separates us from God. And Paul describes it like this, this, this book of records, like a like he describes it like it's just book here, and and in this book is is, is written everything is written everything that we did wrong, everything that we said wrong, everything we thought wrong. And he said, "Is this book that separates us from God? It's our sins that separates us. That God didn't He didn't separate us as as ours as what we did. It's the evil that we did." separates us from God. And he describes it like a, like a record, like a record of debts. And, and if, if, you, if you can just imagine with me that, imagine everything you did wrong and said wrong and did wrong was written in a book. Imagine that. How, how, big would your, how thick would your book be? How, how thick would your... Mine, I was thinking mine is probably like... No, I'm not going to get... <laughs> but everything that you don't want anyone else to know. The skeleton in the closet. If someone found out, you'll be embarrassed. In fact, you'll be really, and you don't want anyone to know this thing. It's all here. It's all, it's all recorded. These are the things, and this is what separates us, us from God. The Bible tells us that although God is love, He is a just judge. He's just. And God hates all evil, and He must punish our sins because He's a just God. And be, aren't you glad that we've got a just God? Because someone like Hitler, you, know, if, you don't want someone like Hitler getting into heaven and going, oh, well, you know, that's, you know what? I love you. I'm just going to let you in. Um, let's be, be glad that God is a just you know, God that, that judges him based upon his sin. This is for what you've done, the atrocities that you've done, and these are the punishment. There is there's consequences to everything we do. And this is what separates us from God. So, so we have two problems, right? We have two problems. First, we all have, have a record of all the evil that we have done. We have, that's, that's one problem. We've got a record of all the evil we've done. And second, God must punish all our evil. So the cross proves the cross proves the love of God. The cross proves the love of God, that God loved you so much. He loved you so much that he became one of us. He became human so that he can take our sin into his body. And that record of debt, the record of debt is nailed to the cross. So what's between you and God now? Nothing separates you from God. It was our sin. Jesus nails it to the cross. It's been doubtful and it's been paid. That Jesus paid the, paid the price for our sins. See, God doesn't condemn Jesus. God condemns the sin within his body. That's what he, and that's what he did for us. Now, nothing separates us from God. Does that mean that you're not going to make any more mistakes? 
No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that, the, that, the, that, that sin and death has no more power over you. That's what it means. And just to, to break that, just give some more legs to that, that sin and death has no power over you. See, sin isn't just breaking rules. Right, like all of a sudden there's this rule book and God's like ticking off. Oh, broke that rule. Oh, broke another one. Oh, wearing a Queensland jersey. Oh, here we go. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not, sin isn't just breaking rules. Sin in Hebrew, sin in Hebrew literally means to miss the mark. So if I'm a, if, if I'm, if I'm temping bowling, <laughs> I use that example because I'm going to go bowling. If I'm going to bowl and, and as I bowl, I get a gutter. I've just sinned. That's what it means. I've just sinned because I've missed the mark. So what's the target? If, if sin is that we're missing the mark, what's the target? The target is to be a genuine human being. That's the target, to be a genuine human being. So, so what is a genuine human being? So if that's the target and we miss it, so what, are, what is it to be a genuine human being? To be a genuine human being is to reflect the image of God. That's what it means. And when, we, and when we don't reflect the image of God, we miss the mark. We begin, and that's what sin is, is we're no longer reflecting God's goodness to the person I, we've married, to, the, to, the, to, the, to, the, uh, to our parents, to, to people in our workplace. When we don't reflect His goodness to someone in the, in the car park who's trying to steal my car, Park, not my car, maybe I won't reflect his goodness, but I don't know. But what I'm saying is this, when we don't reflect his goodness, we miss the mark. And this is what sin is. And, 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 so, and, so, and so sin draws us away from that. It draws us away from, from reflecting God's image. And what happens is we begin to collude, the Bible tells us we collude with spiritual darkness that leads us along that pathway. So instead of partnering with God, we begin to partner with spiritual darkness. This is what, what the Bible talks about. So how does that work? It's by us giving our human authority to idols. What are idols? Idols are the things that we worship. So what are the things that you worship? What are the things that, that we give our authority to? Because the, res the result of sin is that we're bound in a tight grip. This is what's, what we're bound. This is what sin does. Sin, sin of death bounds us in a tight grip. Jesus dying for our sins releases the grip of those powers. Releases the grip. So when Jesus dies for our sin, he the, the powers that hold us tightly is released. And when we receive what Jesus has done, we're released from that power. But here's the problem. For many of us, we've been released from the power of sin and death. And we keep falling down the same hole over and over again because we don't realize the power we have. It's like we're in a cage. The door is open, but we refuse to step out. Because I'm giving power over to you again. But Jesus has released, has taken away that grip. This is what the Apostle Paul says in verse 15. He disarms the rulers and authorities. And he puts them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So, so two things happen on the cross. Two things happen on the cross. Number one, he pays the price for our sins. That's number one. It's called penal substitution. He pays the price for our sins. And number two, he takes away the power from these religious spiritual beings. The, the power is gone. They have lost their grip on you. 
And some of you need to understand that. Jesus has taken all authority away from them. He's disarmed them. They've, they, they've lost their grip on you. But what they, this is what they'll try to do. They'll try to deceive you. They'll try to make you feel that you're not good enough. They'll make you feel unworthy. But it's a lie. You have the power to turn your back on those lies and walk away from the grip of the enemy. Because it has no grip on you. It makes you feel like there's been grip, but they have no grip. They're there, but they, haven't got, they have not got that authority. And you need to take that authority back. And that's the truth. Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. This, again, is talking about all the different festivals that the... They, they, that the Jewish, according to their traditions, had to observe. 17. These are, shadow. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belonged to Christ. Now, Paul's not saying that the Old Testament practices were wrong. They were very right. They were very right. But they were a sign pointing to Jesus. So, all, so the Old Testament, the, the, all these things, these. Uh, that he's talking about kosher laws and all these things regarding festivals and new moon, the Sabbath. All these were signs pointing to the one who has come. But now Jesus is here. You don't need the sign anymore. So Paul's saying, you don't need to, you don't need to, why are we worshiping the sign when we worship Jesus? That's who we'll be worshiping right here, right now. They're pointing to the cross. Not saying that the Old Testament practices were wrong. They were very right. But they were signed pointing to Jesus. But now Jesus is here. The power of the cross is here. Jesus, that's why he says, Jesus is all you need. Verse 18. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they've had a visions about these things, but their sinful minds have made them proud. You know... I won't get in there. Verse 19. And they are, they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its, with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Paul's answer is quite simple. All you need is Jesus. There is no need to pursue additional practices. When someone comes to me, I've had this vision. The angels have given me, given me um, some insight of what we need to do. Paul said, be very careful. You know, I just saw these golden tablets fall out of heaven. Be very, Paul said, be very careful when people are making those kind of claims. That's what, and a lot of people make those claims. That the, the angel had a visitation and, and it's told me what we're doing is wrong. We need to do it like this. All you need is Jesus, is what the apostle Paul says. Be careful. Verse 20. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. They've got no grip on you. They have no grip on you. You've been deceived. They have no power, but the power that we give. And it's time to take back the power. Jesus has all the authority. Go to the one who has all the authority. Go to the one who has all the authority. Jesus goes on so so why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle don't taste don't touch 
Verse 22, such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. 23, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. It's not what we do. You can try to be good as, as, as much as you can, but, but the problem is what's going on in our heart. What we need is Jesus. What we need is Jesus. It's what Jesus has done, not what I've done. Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's not about what I've done. It's what Jesus has done. When we, when we receive Jesus and realize the truth, we are free. And it changes the way we behave because godly thinking leads to godly living. Godly thinking leads to godly living because wrong, wrong thinking leads to wrong living. You might be, you might be oh, yes, praise God, God set me free. But, if, but what are we thinking? Do we, do we keep, where, do, where does our mind go? Do we realize that we're free? In every situation, when you find yourself in a difficult situation, we need to put on the mind of Christ. Godly thinking leads to, to godly living. So what does it mean for us? It means the words of Jesus in John 8, 32 rings loud and clear, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I mean, that's what the last, this last part, part of this passage is talking about. It's about believing in the supremacy of God. If there is a supreme God, if you believe in a supreme God, what does that mean? If there's a supreme God, then there is absolute truth. If there's a supreme God, there's an absolute truth. What has Paul been talking to us about the supremacy of Jesus, that the, that the, that the fullness of God dwells within him? So believing in the supremacy of God leads to you to believing in the existence of absolute truth. If you believe in the supreme creator, Jesus, then there is truth with a capital T. There is a truth that is absolute. Now, why does, why does society push back on the church? Why does society push back on this idea of absolute truth? The reason why society pushes back on that is because if God exists, then we are not God. If God exists, then we are not God. And if God is true, then we cannot decide what is true. That's why society pushes back. Don't you tell me what to do. Don't you, to, don't, don't you tell me what I need to believe. I'm going to believe what I believe because what I believe is the real truth. Right? It's the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve in, in the garden and taking, taking the, what's the forbidden fruit the, of the truth or knowledge of good and evil? God said, don't take, take of that fruit or you will surely die. And they, and they died spiritually. But what was that? So, oh God, I'm not going to trust in, in your wisdom. I'm not going to trust in your definition of what's good and evil. I'm going I'm to take the opportunity to choose for myself what is good and evil in my own eyes. And, and this is the fall of the garden. And we see this today. We see it today. I'm going to define what is good and evil in my own eyes. And no one else is going to tell me. Certainly not God. But society continues to push back on the church, push back on God, because if God exists, if God is true, then we cannot decide 
what is true. It's out of our hands. We have no say in it. We have no vote. Did you know the universe is not a democracy? In fact, it's quite old-fashioned. It's a monarchy where God is king and God rules. I'm not saying that we, I'm not saying that we know all the truth. I'm not saying that, oh, yeah, we have all the answers. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that we have seen the one who is truth. His name is Jesus. Godly thinking leads to godly living. Because wrong thinking leads to wrong living. You know, know, I really believe that Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, I really believe we must speak the truth. If millions of Christians keep sowing seeds of truth in millions of conversations, in PTA meetings, board of trustees, political caucuses, this is my own opinion, is that I don't believe that Christians should have a political party. But what I believe is that there should be Christians in every political party. I believe there should be Christians in every PTA group, every board of trustees for schools. I believe Christians, Christians should be in there. Why? To begin to speak the truth of God. Can you imagine if we had more Christians in the Labour Party? Can you imagine what we have more Christians in the National Party? Christians must speak the truth. If millions of Christians keep sowing seeds of truth in millions of conversations, PTA meetings, political caucuses, classrooms, boardrooms, talk shows, public forums, sermons, books, essays, articles, blogs, and social media, then we'll leave an effect that will shape ideas and lead people towards the light. You can speak the truth or you can affirm a lie. That's your choice. Because godly thinking leads to godly living. Come on, let us pray.